What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on ComboChurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. All right, now you're in John chapter 20. Let's uh, go to verse 19. And just to give you a context of what's happening right now, before we've been in John 14 and 16, and that was pre uh, crucifixion and resurrection. Now we're going into John 20. This is after the resurrection of Christ. Starting in verse 19, it says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. It was still pretty fresh, they were still kind of freaking out. They didn't know what was about to happen. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Ever been scared by somebody because you didn't know they were standing right there? They're like, they're freaking out. They're huddled together. Guys, what's going to happen to us? And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, there's Jesus. Okay, that's exactly what happened. And he says, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that in the moments that we have today that we would allow, again, our hearts to be flexible and pliable. We want to be open. We want to be able to hear from you. We want to be shaped by your word. And Father, we pray that as we talk about your Holy Spirit today, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be able to lean into the moment and be able to encounter you and know you in the way that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. In Jesus' mighty name, say amen. Amen. So we are, today is, is part three of a five-part series we're doing called Uncensored Holy Spirit. The premise is that so much of the topic of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit in the church, specifically in America, has been censored. Why? Because there's parts of what we can't understand that we want to control. And when we can't control what we don't understand, we'd rather just shove it behind us under a carpet, lock it in a closet, and not talk about it. And so we want to relegate the Holy Spirit to something that we can fully understand and be comfortable with and wrap our minds around. But if you don't know something about God, it's that he is uh, omnipresent. He is uh, omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He is everywhere at all times. You cannot put God in a box. And Christianity was never meant to be a powerless religion. It was never meant to just be an ideology that we can wrap our minds around and then walk out. It was meant to be a a faith relationship with God where we say yes to all that God is and we trust him to lead us through that process through his word. So uh, week one, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is. Week two, what the role of the Holy Spirit is. Today, we're specifically talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we hit the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But today, we're talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so our first couple of sections that we're going to go through today are going to be a little bit on the uh, uh, welcome to Bible college side of things. And uh, because there's things that, that you can understand that, that the word wants you to understand that will help us build the framework for understanding the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first thing we got to know is that the Holy Spirit wasn't something that just showed up in the New Testament. It was like, okay, now it's time for this new person to come into the scene. Welcome, Holy Spirit. No, Holy Spirit has been there always. Why? Because he's God. 
So he's always been there. He's been there before, he's here now, he'll always be there. And so the Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament. Most of the time he was referred to as the Spirit of God. But here's what you have to understand. In the Old Testament, because the work of Jesus had not yet been done, because that the perfect sacrifice had not yet been given, and salvation as we know it today was not yet available, the Holy Spirit could not indwell even people who had faith in God because the Holy Spirit can't cohabitate with the sinful spirit. He won't, he won't share that space. But the verbiage that you see in the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit would come upon people. And so even throughout uh, different translations, there will be different words in the Old Testament used to talk about how the Holy Spirit interacted with or through somebody. But the context is always how the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody. Now here's a good example. If you've heard of Samson in the Old Testament, one of the judges of Israel, he's, I kind of would relegate him to being, like, um, um, to being like Hulk. Maybe not green, without the green and longer hair, but like Hulk, because it was like Hulk smash. It was Samson smash. He did massive feats of strength. He would destroy entire armies by himself. He would rip giant gates out of their hinges and carry them somewhere else and throw, like it was total Hulk madness. But he wasn't just that way because he, because you know, you know, he lifted weights. Like bro, do you even lift? No, he was that way because the spirit of God would come upon him and the Holy Spirit would strengthen him for the things that God was using for him to do. Uh, but in the New Testament, we see that things begin to shift. What used to only be available to come upon people that God chose now becomes available to live and indwell every single person who puts their faith in Jesus. Now, I don't want to say that. I'll keep going. Um, I'm grateful that we don't live in the Old Testament times. Do you ever read some of the Old Testament, you know, like the accounts, and you're like, it kind of would have been cool to be there, to live in that time. But then you really think about it, and you're like, no, never mind, never mind. They wrote it down. It's good. I, I, I can identify. We'll move on. Love living in New Testament times. But here's, a, here's the question that I want us to ask ourselves moving forward on today's particular topic. When it comes to how we respond to God, when it comes to how we respond uh, to what God is doing in humanity, here's the first question that, that probably many of you have already um, answered this question in your own life. That is, will you surrender, uh, surrender your life and put your faith in Christ for salvation? Because like, that's where things start. That's where it starts in that moment. And honestly, like I, I challenge, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge anybody who hears this. Don't just, don't just think that salvation is a raised hand moment, and then we leave and nothing changes, right? Like we, we do that, and we'll always do that here. Give people an opportunity to, to raise their hand to identify that they are putting their faith in Christ and receiving who He is as the Lord and the Savior of your life. But listen to me, that moment is not just some 30-second prayer, raised hand moment, and then all of a sudden everything changes. You have to choose to follow the confession that you've made to make Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. In that moment, salvation happens instantaneously when we put our faith in Jesus. That means that all the junk that used to identify who you were in God's eyes is gone because you have now been made a brand new creation. So here's the next question that we need to consider and ask ourselves. Will you allow the Holy Spirit within you to be alive, to be active, to be powerful, to be transformational in and through your life? It's one thing to be saved. It's one thing to live saved with the Holy Spirit empowering your life. And I think that too often what we have seen happen is that when the Holy Spirit indwells us at the moment of salvation, 
we actually begin to imprison the Holy Spirit within us because we refuse to be fully obedient to what God is trying to bring us into. And when we do that, we don't reject and throw away the Holy Spirit. We lock him up inside of us. And the Holy Spirit's in there, let me out. (laughs) Let me go. I've got things that I want to do in your life. I've got things I want to do through your life. But you can't do it on your own. We need to unlock the potential of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. So, so let's kind of get into, our, into our, our, our text in John chapter 20 and kind of look at how Jesus built the framework for the Holy Spirit teaching in John 14, John 16, and then after the resurrection, he comes back and continues to say some things in John chapter 20. Here's the progression of God connecting with people. Okay, it starts with salvation. We kind of just talked about that. Jesus has revealed himself to the world as Savior, and by his grace, we put our faith in Jesus as God and risen Savior. We repent of our sins. And remember, a repentance that doesn't come with a changed direction is not repentance. Hear me. Like, I think we, we beat this drum all the time at Combo Church because it's so important for us to understand the power and the precious nature of this word repent. Because for me, it always conjures up the images of the dude on the street corner, right, with the big sign or the guy that shows up to the concert and he's standing outside because he won't buy a ticket. And he's like, turn or burn, repent. You know, he's like, I was like, maybe, he's not wrong. But, you know, it's like, that's a great presentation that I don't want to engage with. But the, the beauty of that word repent is that it's actually a beautiful invitation from God's grace to bring you into relationship with him. It's the goodness of God that notices that your life, apart from him, is headed in a direction of destruction. Scripture says the wages of sin is death, right? You're like, that doesn't sound good. I want the other option. Okay, well, that's the gift of God is eternal life. So in order for that to be engaged and received, we have to stop walking the direction that we've been walking, and the grace of God calls out to us. We notice that we put our faith in Jesus, and he takes us in a different direction. Not, not 120 degrees, not 90, not 45 with a, with a little head nod to Jesus occasionally. No, he wants 180 degrees, a different direction and following after him. Are you going to zigzag on that 180 sometimes? Absolutely. Why? Because you're not perfect. Praise God. You just learned that at church today. You're not perfect. Okay. So we go from salvation and and the Holy Spirit indwelling. The Holy Spirit simultaneously with salvation comes into our spirit, giving us the power to be and live saved. And as we daily put our faith in Jesus and follow him as our Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit begins, uh, begins to work from the inside out. You need to know that. The Holy Spirit doesn't change you from the outside in. The Holy Spirit works from the inside out. That means that people can put on a face, put on the dress, the clothes, can talk the talk and come to church, and people might think you are saved and sanctified, but if it's not happening on the inside, you're only fooling yourself. It's this process from the inside out where the Holy Spirit comes to change our minds change the way that we think, change the way that we see things, begins to heal things on the inside that that no hours of counseling could heal. And I'm for that, by the way. But there are things that only the Holy Spirit can do. And he begins to do that work inside of us, that healing work, that redemptive work, that convicting work that last week we talked about conviction and convincing. Like the conviction of the Holy Spirit will convince us of the things that are convictions to the heart of God and of God's righteousness so that we can know that there is a standard that God is calling us to live by. And then as we'll get into next week, after that, 
We see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a separate experience that we are told to ask for and receive by faith that goes beyond an indwelling and gives us supernatural spiritual gifts, power, and boldness so that we can be effective outward in the world. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes to transform us from the inside out. Next week, we hit the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That comes to give us supernatural power and boldness and gifts so that we can be the witness of Christ to the world around us. You need to come next week. So week one and two, we study what Jesus was teaching on the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he would do, when he would come, and how. And here's one of the clearest black and white statements that Jesus made about that particular flow and timeline. In John 16, 7, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. Jesus said, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Like there are plenty of moments where Jesus is doing his parable thing, right, telling stories, and he gets to the end of it, and you're just kind of like, what? Okay. And, and, so, and just so you don't feel bad, so were the disciples. Because later they were like, you know, in the moment they're like, yeah, yeah, that's good. What Jesus said. And then later they're like, hey, um, I, we, we don't get it. So if you could explain it. This isn't one of those moments. If I don't go to, back to heaven, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go, then I will send him. Like, that's pretty clear. We don't have to go Greek and Hebrew to decipher this particular one, and I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> Jesus cannot be present on earth and send the Holy Spirit at the same time, but then we read, same person writing, John is the same author, just a couple of chapters later, after the resurrection of Christ in John 20, 22, we see Jesus appearing to the disciples. He didn't knock on the door and walk through the door. He literally glorified body, post-resurrection, there's Jesus, right? Shows up, he's like, I'm not a ghost, don't worry. And to prove it, give me some fish. He eats some food, ate some fish, some bread. They're like, okay, you're not a ghost. He's like, look at my hands, look at my feet, check out my side, it's really me. And finally they got it and they were filled with joy. He's like, don't be afraid. And then it says he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, Jesus, what are, you, what are you trying to do here? So let me put this together. Um, you have to go to send the Holy Spirit. You can't send the Holy Spirit if you're here. You're here. You breathed on us and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What are you trying to tell us? Why are you confusing us? Is anyone else confused at this point? If, if you are, it's okay. It's okay because so are they. That's why we have the word and that's why we're breaking this down. So let's go ahead and get into this a little bit and find out exactly what is happening and why. John 20, 22 was the moment of salvation for the disciples that were following Jesus. That was, you're like, wait, what are we talking about? Like, they've been following him for three and a half years of his ministry. Peter said, you know, earlier than that, like, you're the Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God. Then how is this the moment of salvation? We have to remember, how does salvation happen? Salvation, we live in a time where Jesus already did the work of Christ. Do you understand that? Like, he's not, again, showing up to go back to the cross, to die again, to be buried again, and to rise again. No, he, that work is finished. He never has to do it again. In the Old Testament, every time somebody sinned, they would have to bring another sacrifice for another sin. They had to do it all the time. But Jesus said, I will be the perfect sacrifice that will die once for the forgiveness of all sins, not just all your sins, but the sins of all the, all the world, from the past, the present, and the future. 
Because yes, you will commit some sins in the future. I don't know if you knew that. You will. It's okay. Just continue to go back to the Lord. Continue to confess that he is God because his sacrifice then is still more than enough for now. That's part of the good news. That's part of the gospel. But up until that point, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. He was still God. He was still fully Jesus. He wasn't lacking, but part of the steps to create salvation had not yet happened. So when he showed up post-resurrection and he appeared to his disciples and he breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit, this was not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was the moment of salvation because they realized that they weren't just putting their faith in someone that might die and rise for them, but they were putting their faith in someone who did. And in that moment, they were saved. In that moment, they received the salvation. In that moment, they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that began to do a transformation in them from the inside out. You will notice a different group of disciples in the New Testament that existed in the Gospels. They were different people, not because they were just following Jesus. They followed him forever. But after he left, there was something different inside of them. And it had to do with this moment right here. If this, was, um, if this was not true, if Jesus was not saying that there would be another experience for them, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then we wouldn't have Acts chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 8, where Jesus is being quoted again within that same time frame of telling his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice the use of the word baptized. Um, whenever in New Testament you see the word baptism used, and even Old Testament, it did not mean that somebody hit you with a squirt gun. It did not mean that you were sprinkled. It did not mean that a little dabble do you. It meant that you were submerged completely in what was baptizing you. Whether that be water, whether it be the spirit of God, baptism was not some exterior, partial, symbolic thing. It was all-consuming, all-encompassing, all of who you were. So Jesus is not just talking about, receive the Holy Spirit. Now that you have put your faith in me, you're saved. The Holy Spirit now begins to do that work from the inside out. He's talking about another baptism that will happen later. He says, and, you, and because of this, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and with that you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that came as a product of something that was happening later. So let's look at this timeline and then we're gonna kinda, then we're gonna preach. Like you're in class right now, but then we're about to get our preach on, is that okay? All right, so here's the timeline. After the resurrection of Christ, Jesus stayed on earth for 40 more days. Like that's documented throughout scripture. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happened on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. So for 10 days after Christ had met with his disciples, ascended back to heaven, seated on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the church, for 10 days they stayed in Jerusalem waiting for what was promised. And on that 10th day, the day of Pentecost, which is what we read in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church, and they were filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. There were signs and wonders. There were all types. Like the power of God was unleashed at that point. So we have those two moments. He breathes on him, received the Holy Spirit, but also 10 days after he ascended back to heaven, there was another moment where the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out. So are you all ready? Let's zero in on this indwelling, okay? You got your seatbelts buckled. Here we go. Why, why does it matter that we differentiate between the two? 
because it mattered to God, because it mattered to be recorded in Scripture. And if it matters to God, it needs to matter to us. And this has been an issue where the church, the Western church, has tried so hard to, to sweep this under the rug, not because it was evil, not because it was bad, but because people by nature have a hard time um, allowing God to be God when we can't wrap our minds fully around what God is doing. And it's so much easier to relegate the Holy Spirit to an indwelling than to trust the Holy Spirit to move in supernatural power through his church because it's not as, it's not as clean. It's a little, it can get messy. It can get a little imperfect. It can get hard to understand who is what and is, is that right or is that wrong? Is that okay? Is that not okay? You'll remember in the very first week we talked about how, how the, the, the Holy Spirit is also meant to be an experience. Not only an experience, and not an experience for the sake of the experience, but when the Spirit of God encounters flesh, guess what? There's going to be an encounter. I don't know about you, but I'm not built to withstand an encounter with the presence of God and not be changed, not be moved, not have a, not have a reaction to perfection coming in contact with my imperfection. So this is what we said. And this is so important for us to say, because some of y'all are coming from some charismatic stuff, and you're like, it's all good. Like, you can do whatever you want because the Spirit is moving. Some of y'all are coming from some backgrounds where you're already nervous and sweating as we speak. But you need to understand, this is what is important. I was raised in the charismatic Pentecostal side, and I have friends all over the place who have helped me to see things. But this is what we have to understand in Scripture. Um, Not every experience of the Holy Spirit is listed chapter and verse. Like, the Holy Spirit encounters somebody, and they they respond or react in a certain way. You're like, whew. Where, like, okay, where's, I don't, yeah, I don't see that. So that's not of God. But here's what's very, what we need to be very careful about. We might not react to the presence of God the same way somebody else does, but this is important. The Holy, an experience with the Holy Spirit may not be dictated in Scripture, but a unique experience with the Holy Spirit will never violate Scripture. That, I believe, is one of the most powerful distinctions. And so whatever, whatever side of that fence you may find yourself right now, try not to use that definition between the two to cater to your comfort. Like, I feel like that violates the, the scripture. I, I don't know where, but I'm pretty sure it does somewhere. You're like, don't, don't do that. Don't be that guy. Like, allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. Allow people to encounter the Holy Spirit. And, and hopefully allow your pastors to lead that process. Give us some grace as well. But we're talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit today. And so here's the cool thing, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he's working on you from the inside out. I don't know if you knew this, but you need God's help. What's inside of you is not something that you can fix on your own. Like the challenges that you have, the brokenness that you have, the hurt, the pain, the, the dreams that you have, the things that you can't, you can't manifest, you can't make them happen. Like that's stuff where God can do that work from the inside out. And I love this process, and this process has a word, and that word is called sanctification. I love it. And a good definition for sanctification is the continual work of the Holy Spirit to cleanse and purify us in God's holiness. Not ours, not what we want to pick and choose, not what's comfortable to us, but in God's holiness as we conform to the image of God. Let me say that last couple of words again. As we conform to the image of God, not as we get God to conform to our image. Not as we make God fit in the box that we are comfortable with. Let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit did not come to make you comfortable. The Holy Spirit did. He's like, but I thought he was my comforter. He's like, yeah, not the one you sleep with. 
Not the one that makes you cushy and warm and soft and fuzzy. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is to bring you through things you can't get through on your own. He didn't come to make things nice and cushy and easy and, and, and don't, don't, don't step on my toes. Don't, don't convict me. Don't, I'm just going to, you're judging me. Don't do that. No, the Holy Spirit came to make you uncomfortable but comfort you through the moments that you can't handle yourself. But here's the cool thing. I don't know if it's cool. I think it's cool. God never forces himself on us, which means that you have to choose to engage the Holy Spirit. What dwells within you, you have to choose to engage that. If not, it's kind of like what I said last week. It's like that gym membership that you don't do nothing with. Like, I got the, me- like I got the membership. How come I don't have a six-pack? Because you never go. <laughs> Still eating donuts. I got a Peloton. Yeah, but you just, you just hang your clothes on it. It's, like it's not doing anything sitting there. Same way with the Holy Spirit. You, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is in there. But you got to choose to engage the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't just wake up and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm just sanctified today. I didn't even do nothing. No, you got to lean into it. you got to choose. You're like, man, if you, if, you, if you talk the same way now that you were talking before you met Jesus, then you're not engaging the Holy Spirit. That's not religious. That's not judgmental. That's us saying, hey, if you, if you were supposed to stay the same, then the Holy Spirit never would have had to come. But you're not supposed to stay the same. You're not supposed to be the same person. You're not supposed to go back to work and nothing looks different as people watch your life. When people begin to see something different inside of you, hopefully it's not because you just got religious and weird. It's because there's a genuine work of the Holy Spirit taking place alive inside of you. I think we need to find comfort in the reality that we don't have what it takes on our own to be who God says we can be. Some people are like, yeah, yes, I can. No, you can't. Save yourself some stress. Save yourself some some sleepless moments and some bad seasons. You can't do it on your own. You have to engage the Holy Spirit. To go to the next level, it might not even be trying to overcome brokenness. It could also be you stepping by faith into areas where God's trying to take you. God, you need to know this about God. He likes to level up his people. He likes to level up his people. He's not, he's not asking and looking for you to stay the same that you were before, not just on the inside, but even on the outside. God will begin to change your exterior circumstances because he's trying to level up his children. I love Pastor Rocky's encouragement during giving. People get so touchy when we use the, the P word, prosper. Like, oh God, it's one of those churches where it's like they just prosperity gospel. I'm like, do you even know what that means? Like, first of all, the word prosperity is all over scripture. And yes, it doesn't mean that like, if you give, God's going to give you a mansion. No, no, that's stupid. This isn't the stock market. And I'm actually pretty grateful for that right now. No, God wants to prosper his people. Do you know why? Because the world doesn't need to look at God's kids and wonder what's wrong with God, with, with the father. Like if we're walking around jacked up, messed up, holes in our pants that we didn't actually pay for, because that's the thing that counts. Like your, your car is jacked up and you got a bumper sticker that says my boss is a Jewish carpenter. It's like you need to ask your boss for a raise. No, God desires to prosper his children because the world, need to see the, the world needs to see that God's people prosper when they're in relationship with God. And no, I'm not talking about gold chains. No, I'm not talking about your car. I'm not talking about the size of your house. I'm talking about walking in the prosperity and the power of God. And that happens when we engage the Holy Spirit for what he's going to do. We have to ask ourselves a question. Do we want to conform it to the image of God 
or do we want God to conform into our image? And I really hope it's not the latter. I really hope it's not us saying, man, I, I love the heaven part, that seems awesome. I love the forgiveness uh, part, I, I love the grace of God, I love the mercy of God. Uh, you know, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the judgment of God, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't make me feel quite as warm and fuzzy as the other stuff. And so what I wanna do is I wanna take the parts of God that I like, and I wanna take the parts of God that make me feel good, and I wanna worship that. But all you're doing is creating another false God. A false God that is not mighty to save because that's not God. God is looking for you to surrender your life to the reality of who God is. I don't want a God that agrees with me. And neither should you. You don't want a God that agrees with you. You want a God who's gonna say, hey, I'm gonna bring conviction in your life, not because I'm here to judge you and make your life miserable, but because I'm trying to bring to life something that I created that is in my image and will carry my presence and will carry my nature. I'm trying to bring somebody to a place where you actually get to be a light of the world, not another piece of darkness that blends in with everything else. Guys, we know this isn't rocket science. Humanity is completely broken and we're a part of it. The only solution is the power of God. So let me say a couple of things in closing here that, that hopefully you will, you will receive from me as your pastor. That you will, I've built a, hopefully a little bit of rapport and trust to say some strong things that God is speaking through his word. And even if you don't and it offends you, then you can go back to scripture and you can, you can prove us wrong that that's not what scripture says. But we have, we have to understand something that, that, that God will not be conformed into our image even if we want him to be. We, we want to be okay. We want God to be okay with us ignoring the Bible and not being praying people, but he will not. We want to be okay with us. We want God to be okay with us killing babies, but he, he won't. He won't be. He never will be. It doesn't matter the argument, the circumstance, or the situation. He won't be. We want God to be okay with our immorality and our excuses, but he will not be. We want God to be okay with our adulteries, but he will not be. We want God to be okay with us being disengaged as Christians in our nation. He will not be. He placed us here. We want God to be okay with people telling our boys that they're girls and our girls that they're boys, but he will not be. We want God to be okay with us letting the public schools raise our kids. He will not be. We want God to march in our pride parades with us, but he will not. We want God to celebrate our sexual deviance, whether we're straight or gay. Isn't it funny how we like to look at somebody else's sin like it's worse than ours? We're like, yeah, I've got sin, but it ain't like that. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, God will not be okay with that. We want God to be okay with our pornographic searches. He will not be. We want God to be okay with a powerless religion. He will not be. We want God to bless a nation that elects and champions godless leaders that call good evil and evil good. He will not be. You know, it's interesting. We think that they're gonna be the ones that stay in judgment. You're the one that put them there. Maybe not you, but somebody did. Jesus died to conquer what was broken. Does that make sense? And if we find ourselves in any category of brokenness that misses the mark of the standard of God, guess what the Holy Spirit can do? Changes from the inside out. Because God doesn't, he's not gonna be conformed into our broken image. He wants us to be conformed into his image and that's only done through the Holy Spirit. Can't do it on your own.
You can't try hard enough. You can't read enough Bible verses disconnected from the power of God. You can't be a good enough person. You're gonna work yourself into a grave. Jesus died to conquer the brokenness that exists in you and that exists in our world. And man, think about that. Does he have to? Do we deserve it? No. But in his goodness, in his grace, in his mercy, in his kindness, he stepped out of heaven and he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That it doesn't matter what the list and category of our sin is. He says, I love you and I'm going to make a way for you to get out. I'm going to lead you into a new place. Not only that, I'm going to send you my spirit to dwell within you because you don't have what it takes to get out. You don't have what it takes to change your lifestyle. You don't have what it takes to break your addictions, but I do. We have to engage the Holy Spirit. So let me end with this. There's, we could probably make a list with chapter and verse of like thousands of things that we can do to engage the Holy Spirit. We don't have time for that. And you can read your Bible on your own. But I'm gonna give you a couple of takeaways that we can practice even starting today where we begin to engage the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And let me, let me also challenge you this week, start thinking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and ask God to help you think about it outside of maybe what your prior context has, context has been, no matter what it is. Because this is where I want us to land as a church and as Jesus followers, as Christians. I don't want us to be able to make a paper that says, this is how we will align with the Holy Spirit because he already gave us that. But I want us to be people who will say, I don't have it all figured out. I want it all though. Like if we can have that mentality before God and stop putting a cap on what we will accept and embrace from God and just be people that don't have it all figured out, but we're able to say, God, I want it all. If it makes me uncomfortable, I want it all. If it embarrasses me, I want it all. If it transforms me, I want it all. If it helps my family, I want it all. If it saves my marriage, I want it all. If it saves my children, I want it all. If it changes our nation, I want it all. Number one, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be active in our hearts and minds. Just ask him, just ask. Like this, 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 all of these right here are not gonna be rocket science. It's just asking, praying and asking the Holy Spirit. Number two, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to alert us when we are off and our mindset needs changing. Did you know he's so faithful? That's part of that conviction thing. The Holy Spirit, there's a good chance at some point today I'll zig when I should have zagged. Can you help me out with that? Can you remind me? Can you convict me of those moments where I'm missing the mark of what honors the Father? Number three, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and God's righteousness because he will. As a matter of fact, if the Holy Spirit is in there, if you've accepted Christ, he's already doing it. And when we don't respond to it, that's where we're like, you know, just Satan, get behind me, I rebuke you. No, that's God. That's God trying to lead you into a new life. Number four, read your Bible daily, knowing scripture is alive and active to lead us in following God. Most recent study that came out, 9% of faithful Christians, that was the word used, I don't know what that means in their study, 9% of faithful Christians read their Bible every single day. Something to think about. Number five, and this is come straight from Acts chapter two, when the church was formed and they were given a model to follow that will grow in the kingdom of God, gather faithfully with the church. So you'll notice there's a consistent pattern here, and it's prayer. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit, pray and ask the Holy Spirit, pray and ask the Holy Spirit. And when you read the word, Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open it up. Because you might read something, I don't get it. 
Okay, pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Help me to, what are you trying to show me? He's faithful. Let me pray for you. Guys, listen, there are, I know we've kind of had this analogy a few times when we look at the world around us. It can seem like the world's getting darker. It can seem like things are getting worse. My take on it is I actually, I actually feel like the light is beginning to shine brighter. And here's the thing, when it's total darkness, you can't see what's in the darkness. But as light begins to shine, it begins to illuminate what's in darkness. So what we think, because we see like, we see pushback, we see the fight, we see things in culture, we see things in our country and around the world, and, and we, you know, we hear the doomsday prophecies, and we, we read all this other stuff, and, and yeah, there's a lot out there, there's a lot going on. But we tend to think, oh, it's getting worse and worse, it's getting worse, the darkness is getting darker. No, it's not. I don't think that's possible. Because when Jesus came, he established his kingdom here on earth. And the last time I, I, I was told in scripture, the gates of hell cannot conquer or overcome the kingdom of God, or the, the gates of hell will not overcome it, which means the darkness cannot get bigger, it just gets exposed. And so we have a challenge to allow the Holy Spirit to reign inside of us so that the transforming power of the Holy Spirit causes our light to shine brighter, which will cause more reaction from the darkness. Even though we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of darkness, guess what the principalities and the powers of darkness work through? people who decide to align themselves with those powers. So there will be confrontation with people whose spirits are aligned in the wrong place, but our heart and our purpose should always be to help lead somebody into a place of life, lead somebody into a place of repentance, lead somebody into a place of knowing the potential and the power of who God is through Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Convo Church. Thanks again for listening. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.